Come, now is the time to worship. Come. Now is the time to give your heart. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, just as you are before your God. Come. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now. Come, now is the time to work. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come, just as you are before your God. Come. Willingly we choose to surrender our lives. Willingly our knees will bow. With our heart and soul, mind and be free, we gladly choose you now. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come, just as you are before your God. Come. Come, come. I have to tell Jonathan, you guys can be seated because otherwise he'll stand. <laughs>
Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who is given to us. Let's pray. Lord, you have not stopped working, and you continue to work amongst your people, and for that we are thankful. That no matter what happens in this world, we can walk knowing that your grace is good, and your love is everlasting. We ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us by the power of your Spirit, that we would walk faithfully, standing firm in the face of difficulty, standing firm in the face of disagreement, proclaiming your great gospel, and working to build your kingdom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's an endless song echoes in my soul. I hear the music ring. And though the storms may come, I am holding on to the rock I cling. How can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart want to sing. I will lift my eyes in the darkest night, for I know my Savior lives, and I will walk with you, knowing you'll see me through, and sing the songs you give. How can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart want to sing. I can sing in the troubled time, sing when I win. I can sing when I lose my step and fall down again. I can sing cause you pick me up, sing cause you're there. I can sing cause you hear me, Lord, when I call to you in prayer. 
I can sing with my last breath. Sing for I know that I sing with the angels and saints around the throne. How can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart. I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart. I am loved by the King. And it makes my heart want to see. Yeah, I can see. Oh, I can see. All right. Good morning. morning. (laughs) I didn't know you were sitting all the way over there. (laughs) All right. Try to move some chairs around. First, first, no, I can't. And there's a reason being, first off, thank you to everybody who's able to help with meals and moving stuff for the funeral on on Monday. um, Daryl wanted me to make sure I said thank you to you guys out loud because if I don't remember to do it, first of all, I won't remember later. That gave me an opportunity to kind of get some chairs put back in place because what I've noticed the last couple of weeks is they, they managed to move. And then since I know you guys aren't going to move, what happens is some of you get sat in front of, like, I was thinking of you, Jan, because like, you're always doing this number. <laughs> you're under 5'3". It's like, there's someone sitting in front of me. And I, so I, I moved some things around. We brought everybody a little bit closer because that way I don't feel like you're all sitting in the back and makes it a little bit easier. So there you go. You'll be all right. You said you like sitting over there. <laughs> so there you go. Um, second reminder, we got lunch. So there's plenty of food. If you didn't bring anything, stay anyway. <laughs> there you go. There's plenty of food. We're picking up some chicken. We have masaccioli that we are warming up. So there's plenty of food. If you didn't bring anything, stay anyway. Lots of stuff. You're more than welcome. Um, question for you guys. And I have an update for the directory, but Elena's getting information on the service. I'll have to tell her later. Kathy Lester is getting rid of her landline, and she is going to a cell phone. So we got to get that updated in the directory for you guys. And Kathy asked if she could get a favor. On the 9th of March, which I think is Tuesday. That sounds right. I better look before I say that out loud, because otherwise I'll mess up and we'll all think it's the wrong day. Yeah. On Tuesday, she is supposed to go for her second um, COVID vaccination. And she needs a ride. Cheryl has been taking her to all her doctor's appointments and isn't able to take her that day. At least right now, it looks like she's not able to take her. So if you are able to take Kathy Lesser, I do not have the time. I did not think to ask. Don't ask me why. But I do know it is that day, the 9th. If you are able that day potentially to take Kathy to the doctor so she can get that vaccination and take her home, um, you can let me know or you can just call Kathy. (laughs) Her number hasn't changed yet, so you can just give her a call. So. Grab me after the service if you want to, and I'll give her a call and, and just let me know from there. So you have been asked. I told her I would ask. Anything else? Off the, I have a new number for Kathy Lester to give you. 
She's getting rid of her landline, and she would also like a directory sent to her. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah, she's getting rid of her landline. They got her a cell phone, which is how she's, because she's, she's probably listening, because they got her a cell phone, and she downloaded the Podbean app, and she's actually been listening to the live stream, so it's been kind of, so you see, she's 92, 93, and she can do that, so there's no excuse for the rest of us. Actually, her girl. Yes, she is, because she likes all the church's uh, posting I put up there on Facebook, so there you go. So there you, again, gotta love it. All right. Anything else I'm forgetting that we need to go over? Yes, sir. Oh, yes. Judith is. I, I looked at it, and my brain does not remember exactly right now. Gallstones. Joy. So Judith is getting gallstones removed. You got Wubba? For your, for your, yeah, because they haven't figured out all your stuff yet, have they? No. So be in prayer for Clark. He's going to the doctor this week. Be in prayer for Judith. They're probably taking gallstones out this week, which is, yeah, that's always fun. Yes, and you've been up and around. Was that what you were going to say? See? So the injections are helping. Don't hurt yourself. Are they doing that this week or next week, or have they even said yet? You, that's one of those things you think they wouldn't wait around on. Be like, yeah, there's an aneurysm in your aorta. We'll we'll get to it. <laughs> you think when they diagnose that, you just get put on the table and run off to the OR? But yeah, exactly. So all right, so be in prayer for Loretta. And I saw you were gonna. Oh yes, there's eggs out front. If you would like eggs take eggs. Vern's chickens lay them, and they, it's starting to warm up a little bit, so the chickens have thawed out, and they are back to laying more eggs. I saw one of them was labeled hard-boiled. Is that actually hard-boiled, or is that just a bad label? Okay, so that's just a, so don't, so it's not actually hard-boiled. It's just regular eggs. People need to know these things. So if you would like some free eggs, take some free eggs, because this is Vern's way of saying he doesn't want to take the eggs home. <laughs> so if he's not taking them home. If you don't take them home, that means they're just going to sit here, and that's not a good combination. But since they are fresh eggs, they don't have to be refrigerated. Yeah, up to, up to, up to a month unrefrigerated on fresh eggs. That's, yeah, it's one of those oddities of life. So that's, that's why a lot of, some European countries don't regulate and refrigerate eggs because they're taken fresh and sent. As long as you don't refrigerate them at any point, they can stay unrefrigerated for up to a month. So, yeah. This is what cooking shows teach you. Aren't you so glad you have all this useless knowledge now? <laughs> now, if you bought them refrigerated, put them in the refrigerator. But if you're getting, fr if you're getting fresh eggs like these are, well, technically, it's like 30 outside. So are these already pre-refrigerated eggs? <laughs> are they fresh eggs? Or are they refrigerated eggs anyway? So there you go. Again, chalk that up to the thoughts that keep me out of the really good schools. All right. Who judges those who are outside of the church? Now, did anybody actually read the passage? <laughs> I saw your hand, but I didn't know if that was for the first question or not. So the reason I ask that is because one of the things that gets messed up all the time is if, there's, if there is a Bible verse that someone who does not attend church knows, it's one of two Bible verses typically, they, if they are over the age of 40, they know John 3.16 because we spent how many years holding that up at football games for reasons I will never understand. Is that still a thing? I haven't seen that in a while. 
There used to always be a dude at every football game, like a Monday Night Football, with the John 316 sign. I have no idea why, but that was just a thing. Now, if they're under 40, you know what one Bible verse they typically know? They know Matthew 7.1. Judge not, lest ye be judged. And they, only de- and they know it in King James, too. Lest ye. It just sounds more piratey, apparently. Lest ye be judged. Now, the problem with that is, what's our rule? Never ever do what? Never read one verse. What did they do? They read one verse. The reason I said read that, go, go hunt that down in, in 1 Corinthians and read it, because while God deals with the people outside the church, who people inside the church? We do. Paul is literally telling the church, you have someone who is immoral in your congregation. Why are they still there? Remove the evil from among you, because God will judge those outside the church. The implication of that is those inside the church are not under judgment because they are under Christ's mercy and grace. So if some, if you are allowing someone to claim to be under Christ, who is not living as though they are under Christ, you are deluding and denigrating your fellowship. Don't do that. Cast them out so that what will happen? God will judge. See, that's the other part of this, is the judge not lest ye be judged. What's the next phrase go on to explain to you? For in the same way you judge, you will be judged. Christian, that's good news, because what's our, what's our standing, what's our standard line? I'm not good. God is good. So I want you to judge me by the same standard I judge you because my standard is all have sinned and are under the judgment of God unless they've repented and put their trust in Christ. See, there's a difference. And then Jesus goes on to explain how you remove the speck. You remove the log from your eye so you can do what? See clearly to help your brother remove the speck from his, which would require you to make a judgment. It's not don't judge ever. It's judge rightly. Judge with the right perspective and understand it. God will judge all sin. We don't have to worry about casting you to hell. But our goal is to say, that is sin. Repent and follow Christ. Difference between those two things. All right. Don't say it out loud. It's an easy one. I know that. This is another one I got to make sure I never say in King James because it just it's, it doesn't mean the same thing it meant 20 years ago. Who said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men? I, I know you know. I know you know. Again, There's a reason for the question. Read your Bible. It'll do you good. That's the whole point. So there you go. Anything else I'm forgetting? Going once, going twice. All right, I will stop rambling so we can continue on. I serve a risen Savior, is in the world today. I know that He is living, no matter what men say. I hear His hand of mercy, I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives, He lives, God Jesus lives today. He walked with me and talked with me along my narrow way. He lived, he lived, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lived, he lived within my heart. And all the world around me, I hear his love and care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy blast. 
the day of his appearing will come at last. He lived, he lived, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along the narrow way. He lived, he lived, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. Rejoice, rejoice, so Christian, lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujah to Jesus Christ the King. The hope of all who seek him, the help of all who find. No other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. He walks with me and I know he lives, he lives within my heart. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. Some glad morning when this life is all I'll fly away to walk home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I will fly away. When the shadows of this life is grown, I'll fly away. Like a bird from prison bars it blown,
I was waiting to make sure I wasn't out of tune or out of turn there. <laughs> I, I learned my lesson in church years ago. I probably told you this before, but we can smack you. It's okay. We had an organist at our home church, and he used to, for fun, he would record the call to worship, that little, normally a little opening minute, minute and a half, a little bit of music at the beginning of service. He would record it during the week, and he would work hard on it. But he got into this habit for fun of inserting gaps in it. So it'd be like a minute, minute and a half of music, and then there'd be a 10, 15 second gap, and then something else would start back up. And he started doing it because our pastor would sit down, the music would start, and then he'd get up during the gap to start the service, and the music would start back up. You have to go sit down again. And I had taken over doing announcements as the youth pastor, and he got me with it one Sunday, and I stood there and... I was just about to start with announcements, and all of a sudden the music started back up again. I went back over and sat down. There was a little gap. I got back up and went again, and he got me again. He put two gaps in that morning. He wasn't trying to get me, though. He apologized for three days because he came in the rest of the week because he was upset that he got me instead of our Pastor David. So, <sighs> such joy. So I've learned my lesson. When the music pauses, if I'm not sure what's coming next, just, just wait. Just wait. Because there's nothing more odd than just standing there, music playing. I'm not going to go sit back down again. I'm just going to wait, and I don't even know what this tune is, but anyway. <sighs> Such fun. All right. Something useful and productive, Exodus chapter 15. We will finish it today in light of the deliverance of God, the judgment of God, and the praise of God, which is kind of what we've seen the last couple of weeks. Deliverance, the Israelites being led through the Red Sea on dry ground. The judgment of God, the sea coming back over the Egyptian army, wiping them out. The praise of God, Israel, in light of all of that, singing their praises, were prepared for trial and difficulty, right? <laughs> and I say it like that because a good rule of thumb is, if someone ever asks you if Israel is ready for trial and difficulty, the answer is always no. The answer is always no. Just like Christian, when someone asks if you're ready for trial and difficulty, the answer is unfortunately a lot of times, no. 
unless we prepare our hearts and our minds beforehand. This is one of the lessons we should be learning from Israel, is don't walk down this road. Do not walk as they walked, where everything was just randomly coming at them, and they were not prepared. We're going to see a lesson in that this morning as we look at the end of chapter 15. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, or Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter, therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, I will give, I'm sorry, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. I promise a whole Sunday compared to what we've covered last week in just those handful of verses. So rewind back to the beginning. You can probably already see the problems we'll encounter as we go. Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. All right. Do you remember way, 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 way back in chapter 1 and again in chapter 3? I warned you, do not freak out and make a big deal about something that Exodus does not make a big deal out of. We talked about this when we talked about the midwives. They were told to go to the uh, the Israelite women, and if they had a son, to do what? Take the baby and how? Kill him how? Throw him into the river, right? And when they didn't do this, Pharaoh brought them in, and they went, "Well, you know, you Egyptian women are you know you're not sturdy. So when you have children, it's a long time, and there's lots of weeping and wailing, and it takes a while. And we get there on time, but when these hardy Israelite women have babies, we're just they have them so fast that they just have the baby before we even get there." And we all kind of looked at it and went, right. So did they lie to Pharaoh? So you say yes, but do you know that? No. So don't make a big deal out of that section. Just like we don't make a big deal out of do we know whether or not Moses' mother was lying or doing something. No, we don't. So don't make a big deal out of things that Scripture doesn't make a big deal out of. Your life will be simpler. So Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. The reason I remind you of that lesson is you will be tempted, if you're not paying attention, to go, oh, oh, see, there's the problem right there, isn't it? Moses is leading the people. All right, time out. Who leads Israel? God does. Exodus chapter 13, go back. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Which means when we say Moses is leading them, what are we really saying? Yeah, it's like when, do you remember when you were in elementary school? What did everybody want to be that day? I want to be the line leader! I don't know why we all wanted to be the line leader, but we wanted to be the line leader. So when you were in the front of the line, were you in charge of getting them from point A to point B? No, your teacher was. They've not been trusting the seven-year-old to do that. That would be insane, and it would be dumb. And what's the rule? Don't do dumb things. So, no, you're at the head of the line, but the teacher is really leading your class. Here you go. Moses may be at the head of the line, but God is leading the people. It's actually the conclusion of the book of Exodus says this. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. 
But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out on that, set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. I mean, believe me, this is not a faithful people. If you removed the visible symbol from them for about five seconds, what's going to happen? <laughs> exactly. It's like squirrels on crack. <laughs> so, it's a, it's a visual image. You, you will never forget that, will you? See, sinful people are like squirrels on crack, and I'll let you draw the, all the lines that connect all that. So we're not removing that. So Moses is leading. We know God is leaving. Now, here's where it gets fun. They went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness. I would love to help you out here. I have no idea where this is. None whatsoever, and neither does anybody else. We make guesses. Anybody tells you, oh, here's Shur on the map. They're lying. Well, they're not lying. They're just going with what we think is our best guess. I have no idea. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Why not? There you go. Why is it still here if we can't find it? One cool thing about Bible translation, once something gets into a translation, you know it never happens to it? It never comes out. Ever, 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 ever. That's why if you read in your Bible, you'll see every once in a while, you'll see this more in the New Testament than you will in the Old Testament. You ever see brackets around verses or sections of verses? What the translators are telling you with those brackets is that that probably doesn't belong. And I know what you're thinking. Well, if it probably doesn't belong, what should we do? We should take it out. Once something gets into the Bible text, we never take it out. We'll put brackets and say, we don't think this belongs here, but we're not taking it out. And there's some famous examples of this. Um, the ending of Mark is a famous example. The oldest manuscripts of Mark that we have end around verse 8, and everything after verse 8 doesn't belong there. We put brackets around it. What's known in theology as the pericope adulterae, just makes me feel smart saying that. The story of the woman caught in adultery, uh, John 7:53 through 8:12, doesn't belong there, but we don't take it out. And the reason we say that doesn't belong there—that's one of the really famous ones. There are manuscripts that have that story in Luke. <laughs> it's like it's—it's it's in Luke. It's in multiple places in John, depending on the manuscripts. It just doesn't belong there. But we put it in brackets because once it's in there, it doesn't come out. So why don't we take the stuff out if we don't know where it is? Because it's in there, and once it's in there. Doesn't come out, which is also really good for news for us, though. Why? Because one, we know that what's in our Bible belongs to our Bible. We haven't lost anything. And two, somebody at some point knew where sure was, and they wrote it down. Just because we don't know doesn't mean it does not exist and doesn't mean that it did not actually abide there. So, question that we need to cover now because it's about to get ugly very quickly. Why does Israel travel? Why are they traveling? They're looking for a land, right? Exodus 20, when they get to the mountain, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. They travel because they once were enslaved, now they are set free. They have been delivered. Therefore, they are traveling until their deliverer says what? <laughs> this is the place. How will they travel? They will travel following God, as we made a point earlier. Colossians 1. You want to make sure you make your connecting dots. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, 
strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It's a really high-minded way of saying, walk faithfully after God, follow after him, praise him, honor him, do what he tells you to do. What have we been saying about Israel? What should they be doing? They praised him last week and we went, good job, everybody. Now do what? You talked the talk. Now it's time to walk the walk. Where will they travel? Somebody said this earlier. Till they get to the land that God has identified. I try to give you guys credit, right? 2 Corinthians 12. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, Paul talking about the wonderful things that he's seen. Make sure God's going to make sure he's humble, though. To keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. And concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. But he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul continues, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is why I started off where we started off this morning. In light of the deliverance of God, the judgment of God, and the praise of God, we're ready for some trials, right? If you're, but you should be. Because Christian, where do you stand? You stand in light of what? In light of the knowledge of the judgment of God against sin. But you stand in the sight of the redemption of God in Christ for you. So you praise, you worship, you honor, and you walk. Which means we should be ready for what? We should be ready for some difficulties. And here is your difficulty. They are wandering in the wilderness. We're not wandering yet, but we're walking in the wilderness. They went three days into the wilderness. So we're three days one way into the wilderness, and we found no water. Dun, dun, dun! This is what's known as conflict in literature. It is. Every good short story, if you you ever studied literature, they introduce a conflict. You never have a story about, like, there's never a short story that anybody wants to read about a woman who just gets up and goes to the grocery store and finds everything on her list and goes home and nothing bad happens. Why don't we tell stories like that? Because no one would read them. So instead, when you write the story out, she gets up, she goes to the grocery store, and the tires fall off the car, and there's nothing on the shelves, and some angry man harasses her, and then she, and every, and she overcomes all of these things to get the groceries and go home, right? That's introducing conflict into a story. Your Bible just introduced conflict. You'd walk three days, one direction, into the desert. There is no horse with no name, and you found no water. Got to make sure I drop a couple of 70s references as we go. I don't know why I use 70s references. I wasn't alive then, but... Verse 23, when they came to Mara, they could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter, therefore it was named Mara. I, I think we should understand the word Mara there. How about you? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's thrown in there quite a bit. It literally means place of bitterness. You will see this if you read your Bible later on in the book of Ruth. So Ruth and Naomi are going home, and they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they, and when they had come to Bethlehem, All the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Naomi means pleasant. 
since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. And if you read the book of Ruth, you will see that Naomi is not very pleasant for a couple of chapters. Maybe understandable, but she's still not very pleasant. So you get the compare and the contrast of Naomi, who is pleasant, with Mara, who is bitter. They named the place Mara because when they got there and looked at the waters, the waters were, yeah, they, we call it Mara because the water is Mara, and now everybody else is Mara. Now, question for the day. This is very, very important. What is the problem? I said your Bible has introduced a conflict. From a literary perspective, you would say the conflict is that they have walked three days into the desert, found no water, and when they did find water, nobody can drink it. That would be a conflict. From a biblical perspective, is that a conflict? Shouldn't be. Why shouldn't it be? Let's go backwards from Israel, right? So we have arrived at the waters of Marah. They are bitter and we cannot drink. We have walked three days across the wilderness. Where did we walk three days across the wilderness from? The shores of the Red Sea. Why were we on the shore of the Red Sea? Because a day before that, we were where? On the other shore of the Red Sea. How did we get from there to here? We walked through the midst of the sea, piled up on each side, as the children's DVD says, with the fishes just staring at them, on dry land. Why did we do that? Because God parted the sea. Before he did that, he put a cloud between us and the Egyptians to keep them from overtaking us. Before he did that, he killed the firstborn. Before he did that, and you see where this is going. It's the same people. It's not like they crossed the Red Sea and traded out everybody. They're like, all right, I'll do new nation, you guys go home. We got new people coming in. Mm. Same people. The danger of sin, and especially the danger in the modern world with sin, is to be guided by the wrong thing. And you're going to see an example of that here with, with Israel. The danger is to be guided by how we feel rather than based on what we know. And that's going to be part of Look, you want to understand the modern world? What would an entire generation of humanity look like guided completely by their feelings. Well, Mr. <laughs> See, Mr. Potato Head is evil now because of how we feel. You laugh, but that actually was a news story over the weekend, if you want to have some fun. Yes, no, it was, it was. Go look it up. We're not going there right now. Yes, but they went back. Yeah, cookies are evil. Potato heads are, everything's evil. Why? Because I feel like it's bad and I am offended by it. This is an entire worldview. And I, telling you guys, look, the problem is not with the outworking. The problem is the starting point. Scripture is very, very clear and consistent on this. Your Bible wants to beat into your head that you should use it. I've said this before. I will say it again. Christianity is a thinking religion. It is about evaluating, seeing, processing, and then applying wisdom and knowledge that you have attained from Scripture. Examples of this, Ephesians 5. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Famous uh, summary of that would be Romans 12, right? Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, so that you can do what? So you can evaluate and discern the will of God and live in a manner that is pleasing to him. Now, 
think about this. There's a whole book in the Bible that walks through this in the Old Testament. What's the goal of wisdom? Proverbs chapter 1. The point of this book is to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear an increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. In other words, to see the things of the world and to act rightly in light of them, to evaluate, to judge them, to think upon them, and then apply rightly. Here you go. Verse 24. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? I won't do the Scarlet O'Hara voice again on you guys. I'll spare you that one. I don't want Matt to come in here and give me a dirty look again. (laughs) Now, the lesson we just covered is important because it's very, very valuable here. Is the question the problem? No, because if you walk three days into the wilderness and you get, oh, water, go team. We can't drink this. What are we going to drink? That's one way to ask that question. You could also walk three days into the wilderness. Oh, we can't drink the water. What are we going to drink? Now, are those two questions the same? No, no, they're not. The people grumbled at Moses. They didn't go, what are we going to drink? They went, what are we going to drink? We could have died in Egypt. We'd have been better off. Don't die in Egypt. Bring us out here. No water. This understanding matters. Again, what was part of our lesson last week? How quickly, when Moses puts the staff down and the waters come back over the Egyptian army and they are wiped out, how long does that take? Yeah, God's conquering of the enemies of Israel is not this long, drawn-out battle. Please, do not let the world system in, incorporate into your brain, okay? Because there are too many people that think of God and Satan as equal and opposite powers. There's actually a term for that. It's called dualism. There's a good side and there's a bad side, and they're constantly fighting with each other. And some days the good side wins, and some days the bad side wins. No, 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 no. You have an almighty, all-powerful God upon the throne of creation. You have Satan who's come to heal at his feet. You want a good picture of this? Read the book of Job. Satan comes in. Hey, I'd like to torment Job. Actually, that's not how it starts. God says, hey, have you seen Job? Well, why don't you do this? Satan then goes and does it with God's encouragement and permission. Satan may be an evil roaring lion, but he's on a leash that God holds the other end of. There are no equal opposite forces. There are no dueling battles here. There is God and there is everyone else. This is why James gave you the lesson. We read this last week. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, engage in business, make a profit. You know, what we all do every day, right? Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. There's that knowing again, guided by what I know about God, what I know about what he's doing, and what I know about what he has promised to me. If you are Israel, why are you out of Egypt and across the Red Sea? Because we're traveling to a land. 
God has promised to give you this land, flowing with milk and honey, a good land, so that you will prosper and your nation will grow. Are we there yet? No, so you got to turn This is when Israel should turn into a four-year-old. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How about now? How about now? Are we there yet? How about now? How about now? No, we're not there yet, which means what? Is the nation going to die of starvation and thirst at this bitter water hole? Why not? Because we're not there yet. And this is the, oh, I probably shouldn't give him credit for this. I will be, you shouldn't listen to this guy, so I won't give him credit. It's, but it's a comedian from the 80s and 90s. And one of the lessons he said, if you haven't gotten where you're going, you aren't there yet. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not going there. So what should Israel be doing here? They should be putting their trust in God. They should be calling out not to grumble against Moses, but to say, what are we going to drink? Where is God going to provide us water? Where are we going to find some water? I mean, we know he's done all of this other stuff that we just walked through. Where does the water come from? This would be wise living, which is what Proverbs would tell you in chapter 3, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him as wisdom. He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. See, that's the whole point of the evaluation. Again, that's why I joke about the trivia question that we put in the bulletin. It's not just so that you can like win Bible trivial pursuit one day. It's so that you actually can think through some of these things and go, why is this in my Bible? Why has God given us this information? Why has he done this thing? What am I supposed to be learning? How is he demonstrating his nature, his mercy, his wrath, my lack of faith, my lack of, how is he showing me these things and then building me up and preparing me to walk newly in my knowledge? That's what I should be doing, and that's how I should be thinking through my Bible. So, the people grumble at Moses. Moses, verse 25, cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. Okay. Magic sweet water trees, right? Sure, why not? Makes about as much sense as everything else. Now, let's ask this fun question. Who made the water sweet? How does a tree make the water sweet? It doesn't. It doesn't. So the power is not there. The power is the same as it has always been. So if you'd like a, if you'd like a bad 80s reference for this one, you need good talking heads theology. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Matt would know that song. Oh, you know that song? Okay. Exodus chapter 4. Moses said, what if the people will not believe me or listen to what I say? This is all the way back in Exodus 4 now. They may say, the Lord hasn't appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? And he said, a staff. So he said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground. It became a serpent. Moses ran away. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. Now God said that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Remember, Moses went with proof. There was the staff, throw it on the ground, it's a snake. Pick it up again, it's not a snake. Put your hand in your, in your coat, take it out, it's full of leprosy. Put it back in, take it out, it's healed. If you don't believe that one, take some water from the Nile. Do what? Pour it on the ground. What will it do? It will turn into blood. Hey, neat trick. I can't do any of that, but God can the same power. Where did the frogs come from? Where did the blood come from? Where did the hail come from? Where did the darkness come from? Where did all of these things come from? They came from God. Israel is supposed to know this. So when Moses takes a tree and throws it into the bitter waters, and now they're sweet, do we all run around and go, praise be to the tree? 
you're laughing because you're almost waiting for that, aren't you? You're almost waiting for, like, if there was a verse 28 to this chapter, be like, and all Israel danced around the tree and sang praises to it. And you just go, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked. But the point is, no. Why use the means? For the same reason that when we had the gnats, what did Moses do? He picked up some of the sand to demonstrate what? That there is no power that you can cling to. There is no excuse that you can make. So the people can see, all right, bitter water, tree, sweet water. How does that work? It doesn't, which is the point that is being made. And you can see that in the rest of this verse. There he made for them a statute and regulation, and there he tested them. This was the whole point. The whole point. Why three days into the wilderness with no water? So that they would get to this place and see the water and do what? I mean, not just thirsty, but imagine you're thirsty. I mean, you're not like a little bit thirsty. You're, you're like, yeah, you're, like the goats don't even have milk anymore. You like, can't even get anything. Water! You've seen this movie, right? Every, every, if you haven't seen it in a movie, you've seen it in a Bugs Bunny cartoon, right? Bugs Bunny's crawling across the desert, you know, sweating profusely. And what, how does everybody act when they see the water? What does everybody go do? They go running in, you jump in it, swim around in it, and then you get there and they're like, <laughs> yeah. That's in the Bugs Bunny cartoon. They spit, he drinks the water and spits out the sand, right? But you celebrate, you rejoice, and then you spit out the water and it's nothing. This is why life is not easy. And this is why difficulties and trials come. When is your character really revealed? You want to know who you are at, the, at heart? Stub your toe on a table. And I'm serious. Yeah, you realize, if you want to know just how sinful you really are, smash your thumb with a hammer. Stub your toe on the bedside table or on the end of the bed or on the coffee table. Or, you know, have the children do something you didn't want them to do. Have the dog paw at you and scratch something. And that thing that flies right out of your mouth, like that, there's you. There's the you with no filters, with no thought process, the real unadulterated you and tremble because it's a reminder of how much work God has done and how much work God is doing because you know what I know about humanity if you didn't say it you know what you did you thought it you know you did I know you did you know you did let's just move on we don't have to lie to each other anymore because even if you even if you get even if you've trained yourself to censor it over the years you, know, you notice you're still running it through that filter, right? And you're angry. That's why you said it. You're mad. Why are you mad? Because that shouldn't happen to me. I wasn't even doing anything. Like, how often do we hurt ourselves and go, okay, that was dumb. I deserve that one. <laughs> there are times, yeah, you, you drop the dresser on your foot and you'd be like, why am I moving the dresser without shoes on? <laughs> yes, and you go, I deserved that one. <sighs> but then there's those times, I didn't deserve that one. And again, those thoughts, those words, those actions, the fact that your face went from whatever color it normally is to deep, dark red, the color of this carpet, like that, there's who you are at the core. And that is exactly why God does it. This is why we joke, never pray for patience. Why not? How do you get more patience? By God sending you things that will make you impatient so that you can now demonstrate how you are growing in patience. Don't ever pray for God to work on your anger. <laughs> 
He will drop every dresser in your house on your couch. You're like, I didn't even know that one could move. How did that happen? So that you can do what? So that you can work on your anger. This is the walking of life. This is the sanctification. Again, in light of the knowledge of God's judgment of sin, in light of the reality of his salvation of his people, in light of the life of praise and worship we are to live, we're ready for some trials, right? This is what scripture is pointing you to. First Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And we all read that and go, yeah, I like that. In this you greatly rejoice. Okay, I'm with you so far. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Now, keep in mind, just so you know, when Peter says to this church that you have been distressed by various trials, he actually means Roman persecution. <laughs> when he says you've been distressed by various trials, he means they have come into your church, rounded up some people, and drug them off to the Colosseum. They have rounded up your pastor, taken him off, and they're going to feed him to the lions like on Thursday. I mean, these are various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, because that's what we all do when we get gold, right? We just throw that as we walk, you know, that sprinkle a little gold over here, a little bit gold over there. Even though tested by fire, you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is why life is hard. Because it shows you who you are, and the more you realize who you are, the more you will not like you. And the more you, not, you don't like you is good in Christ, because that is the more you will lean into him. The more that you lean into him, the more you will be like him, the more you will then actually be good. This is the walking of sanctification. This is the work that is done. It is done in the refining fires of life. This also explains why some of us are still walking and why some of us left, you know, 20, 30 years ago. <laughs> some of us are stubborn and God's like, I can't let them walk any farther. They won't make it. Some of us are still learning and some of us are still teaching and some of us are still doing all sorts of things. But it is all from whose hand? God's. So what's the proper amount of time for you? Whatever God determines. Exactly. Again, why is Israel walking in this wilderness? Because this is where God has led them. Why is he leading them? Because they are his people. If you don't like the way Peter put it, James gives you the same lesson. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Once again, James, um, somewhere between 44 and 48 AD is the first letter written of the New Testament. It is written in light of the persecution of Herod against the Christians in Jerusalem. So James, the half-brother of Christ, is the author of the letter James. He is writing in response because the persecution kicks off when James, the brother of John, one of the twelve, is beheaded by Herod. So when we're talking about various trials, we're talking about literally, you know, Alice in Wonderland, off with his head. Those are various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How do you get perfected? By walking faithfully in light of difficulties. How do you get refined? 
I mean, we refine metals. How? By heating that sucker up until it melts, and then we scoop all the stuff we don't want to keep off the top, and then we cool it back down into the shape we like. Congratulations, Christian. There's what you signed up for. There's what Israel signed up for. And they're sitting in that hot molten bath going, you know, it's a little, <laughs> it's a little warm in here. I'd like to get out now. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because everybody who climbs out, you know what's revealed about them? They went out of us because they were not of us. The Christian bears up. The Christian walks faithfully. This has been true for 2,000 years in the church. Again, James and Peter, same terminology. Well, you encountered various trials. Writing 20 years apart, there are various trials where people are dying and still walking faithfully. And the encouragement is do that. Because if you can stand firm then, you can stand firm in anything. I think one of the great dangers of the world is that if we don't learn our lessons when they come easily, you know what happens? Yeah, I use this, I think I used this example on Wednesday. Like your kid keeps reaching up in the stove and it's warm and you keep smacking their hand. Don't do that. Don't touch that. It's hot. At some point, even though you probably shouldn't, you know what you're eventually going to do? You're going to let them touch it, aren't you? And then you're going to tell them what? I told you not to touch it. <laughs> I told you not to do that. Because you know it's not going to kill them, but you know they need to learn. Christian, learn the lessons quickly because we don't want to touch the stove. We don't want to touch the stove. I want to go, ooh, got to remember that. But don't do that. That's okay. Mom said that's hot, so I don't want to. Dad said that's hot. I don't want to do that anymore. Because if you don't, God loves his children. Christian, you love your children. When they do things you don't like, you correct them. I've used this example before. If your kid is running towards the interstate, will you tackle them? Yes, on the gravel. They might scrape their little knees and break their little arm. It's better than the truck, right? Why do you do these things? You might scrape yourself. You might injure you. Why do you do these things? Because you love this child. Hebrews chapter 12. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as, as with sons. What son is there from his father whom his father does not discipline? If you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, you're illegitimate children, not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in his holiness." All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Again, you're better for it. The other example I used, those of you that had good teachers in school, were they ever the nice one? <laughs> Did you ever like them when you were in their class? No! You hated that teacher. They're the rough one. They're the mean one. They don't let us get away with anything. They make us actually do work and learn stuff. How dare they? It's after you graduate or actually after you get to the next class that you look back and be like, they were right. And then you realize they have that moment where it's like, now I got to go apologize. <laughs> and we never do. <laughs> we never did. Why were they the good one? Because they expected something from you. They held you to a standard. They wanted what was good for you. They actually cared about their job and the people they were teaching. Why are you sometimes hard on your children? For the same reason. Why is God hard on his children? For the same reason. Verse 26. 
This is what's happened for Israel. And he said, if you will give earnest heed to my voice, to, I'm sorry, give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. This is going to be a refrain in Moses' life. Like, you guys know when I say, don't, that's dumb, you know the next phrase out of my mouth is, don't do dumb things, because I've said it a thousand times. When I say, read your Bible, or read the book of Galatians, it'll do you good, because I've said it. That's a refrain. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. This is a really good one. This is a refrain of Moses' life. He's going to say this over and over. Deuteronomy 4. When you are in distress... And all these things have come upon you. In the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he swore to them. Different wording, but same idea. Deuteronomy chapter 30. It shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity, have compassion on you, and gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. It's a reminder. You wander away. What will happen? Discipline. God's going to take his belt off and somebody's going to get a whooping. But when you return, what will he do? He's gracious. He's compassionate. He is loving, and he will forgive. This is the call from God to his people. Deuteronomy 32. See now that I, I am he, and there is no God beside me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. There is, none, there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Indeed, if I lift up my hand to heaven and I say, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword, and my hand takes hold on justice. I will render vengeance on my adversaries, and I will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword will devour flesh. With the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired leaders of the enemy, rejoice, O nations, with his people. For he will avenge the blood of his saints, and will render vengeance on his adversaries, and will atone for his land and his people. Notice how quick that changed? God will judge. Vengeance will come. Judgment is real. But in the midst of that judgment, what do we have? We have deliverance. We have redemption. We have God working for his people, overcoming and conquering. Christian, has any of that changed? No. Would you like to hear a simpler version of that Deuteronomy passage from the New Testament? Because you can, First John 1. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Same thing. All have sinned. Judgment abides. How do you avoid judgment? You do. There's a cross. There's a Savior. There's one who will atone for his people, who will restore their land, who will redeem them. Now, this lesson matters. Don't overthink this one. You ready? This is easy. How do you guarantee that you will not fail the test? I'm serious, though. How do you guarantee that you will not fail the test? 
No, no, it's bo- in anything in life, whether you're in school, whether you're at the DMV, study so that you will, what's the point of studying? No. How do I guarantee that I will pass the test? By knowing the answer to the questions. Told you not to overthink it now. <laughs> I warned you not to overthink it. Christian, life is full of questions. Life is full of difficulties. Do we, in and of ourselves, have answers? No! If you don't believe me, look at the long and troubled history of humanity trying to explain everything around them apart from God. You know what you'll find? Lots of stupidity. You will find all sorts of bizarre ideas and explanations. You will find poems and songs and rituals meant to appease, meant to... There's a word, and I can't think of what it means. Calm, that's not the word I want. Anyway, meant to make life better, meant to make life easier. Comfort, thank you. Thank you. I need a thesaurus. (laughs) There are days, I'm telling you. Too many words, I've used them all up today. All of these, actually, that wasn't the word exactly that I wanted, but it gave me the word that I wanted. Soothe. That was the word that I wanted. All of these things that will soothe the soul, calm the mind, bring peace in life. And they are all temporary. Every last one of them. We do this at Christmas every year, right? We, we put the big candles out and I remind you what? Peace, joy, love, hope. Where are they all found? In God. How are they accessed? In Christ. Israel is learning this lesson the very, very hard way. That's the warning here. You want none of those diseases. You want none of those struggles. What must you do? You must walk faithfully, which is a tough warning because at exactly which point up until now has Israel succeeded in walking faithfully? (laughs) I mean, the closest they could probably, because we put the blood on the doorposts, all right? What more do you want from us? We put the blood there. It worked. That's probably it. And again, that's like saying, we jumped over the hurdle. Go us. It doesn't, it's not, it's, not, it's not what God's calling him to. Keep his statutes. Keep his commandments. Walk faithfully in the covenant. Da- yes. Daily. Again, and, and how do we know they're not there yet? Because they walked three days across the desert, got to the bitter waters, and went, ah, and they missed it. Now, what's the proof that if they do this, God will keep his end of the bargain? Your first answer should be, have you been reading the other 14 chapters? (laughs) The second answer is verse 27. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. This is the proof. You ready for good Baptist alliteration? This is the proof of the promise and provision. Yeah, I got three Ps all in one there. (laughs) And I didn't even do that on purpose, so I'm, I'm, I'm becoming a better Baptist day by day. None of this has changed. It's the same warning. It's the same promise. Romans chapter 10. Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call in the name of the Lord will be saved. Same lesson now as you had then. Israel's being looked at right now under scrutiny as they're walking through the wilderness, and they're failing the test because they have not studied the answers. Christian, learn from their mistake. Again, when you, when you have children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews and just young people in general, why do you tell them about the failures of your life? 
so that you will learn and don't do the same dumb thing I did. Find new dumb things to do. <laughs> because then we are increasing in wisdom. You laugh, but this is why Christian community is good. Because have you done all the dumb things? No. Hallelujah, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Praise be to God, I have not done all the dumb things. So when I take my children and say, all right, here's the list of dumb things you should not do because I know they don't work because I myself have tried them. Here's the proof that they don't work. Is that a completed list? No. You know what I need? I need Vern's list of dumb things. I need Lou's list of dumb things. I need Elizabeth's list of dumb things. I need all of those lists so that I can present them to my children and go, look, 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 look. don't do this. <laughs> this is how wisdom works. This is why Solomon wrote it down in Ecclesiastes. This is why the Proverbs are kept for us. This is why we teach. This is why we do all these things. I don't have to start from scratch. This is why I read books by dead guys before preaching and teaching. Because I'm not the smartest person on the planet. I know that may be a shock, especially to me. So I listen. Remember, one of the things I point out, the beauty of Bible study is that there are thousands of years of history to rely on. And this is a great rule of thumb. If you're the first person in a couple thousand years to think of something, you know what you probably are? Wrong. If you're the first person to read Exodus and go, I think this means this, knowing that Exodus has been around for 3,500 years, if you're the first person to come up with that idea, you're probably wrong about your understanding of Exodus. You need to go back and read it because lots of smart people before you have read it and understood it and didn't come up with that. So you might want to rethink that. That's wisdom. That's using your history rightly. This is why we rejoice in Christian community because I may not see the dumb thing my kids are doing, but you will because that was the dumb thing that you did. Don't feel bad. Tell them. I think I can honestly speak for all the parents in the room when I say, if you see our kids doing a dumb thing that we haven't stopped, please stop it. <laughs> you stop them because they need to be stopped because they need to learn wisdom and instruction because they need to be trained in what is right and good. And the only way it's going to happen is if we actually do that. That's how good community is supposed to function because in Christ, we persevere. And in Christ, we build one another up and we walk faithfully to the end. Jesus taught this, John 6. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Oh, good. This is what Jesus is doing, right? That of all that he has given to me, I, have, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son, believes in him, will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So in Christ, we're going to make it. Go us. What should we be ensuring each and every day? that we are in Christ. How are we going to make sure of that? By taking tests, by walking three days across the wilderness and finding bitter water and going, okay, God, I have no idea what's going on here, but what are we going to drink? And again, that's different from going, there's no water here. What are we going to drink? And too often, our hearts get revealed that way than the other. In Christ, we are supposed to walk differently. Paul makes this point in Ephesians 4 when you know how to walk and what you're supposed to know, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. Notice that. How would I avoid deceitful scheming? I mean, isn't the point of deceitful scheming that they don't get caught? Like, anybody ever make an evil plan with the idea, like, all right, we're going to get busted really bad for this one? <laughs> no, you made a plan, so what would happen? Or what wouldn't happen? 
you don't get caught. Like, you plan so we don't get caught. Christian, we're supposed to stand and not fall for trickery, craftiness, and deceitful scheming, which means we have to do what? We have to think and evaluate. Based on what? Based on Scripture. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in all aspects into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. See how quickly Paul took the individual and made it a Christian community? You think, you evaluate, and you walk faithfully, and you supply to the community. Meaning, when I see the wisdom that I have needs to be applied to the dumb of your life, what do I do? I do. When you see the wisdom of your life, and it applies to the dumb of my life, what should you do? (laughs) Because now we both have good wisdom, and we have both eliminated the dumb. That's a win. That's a win. Whoever decided, you know what I'd like to do when I grow up? I want to be an idiot. (laughs) Nobody says that. Why not? (laughs) I don't want to be dumb or in sin or idiotic about anything in my life. Therefore, I want to learn what has God said. What has he provided? And where I have deficiencies in that, you know what I want? I want faithful believers to walk along with me and build those up. And likewise, so when I see problems, we say something. When you see problems, we say something. And we walk together. Why? Because this is where we're going. Imagine how good this felt. Bitter waters. I mean, let's be honest. You threw the tree and Moses scoops it out and be like, hey, it's good now. Everybody ran to the water and started chugging, right? No, they're like, hey, it worked. And then everybody started chugging, right? No, every single person in that group went through that same process. Like, Are you sure? Make, make sure the tree got all of that corner over here because that's where I'm scooping from. I mean, instead, what happens now? They're already lean. 12 springs of water, 70 date palms, and they camp before the waters. If you had to describe that after days in the wilderness with nothing, how would what one what what you get one word? What what word would you use? It's heaven, it's paradise. Isn't it though? What we destroy, what we have torn down, God is in the business of rebuilding. This is your Bible story from beginning to end. Genesis chapter two. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's a picture of heaven, right? I mean, if you're laying out how you want to live out the rest of your days, that's a pretty good place to start, right? I ain't got to do work. It doesn't rain. The water just produces and I eat. Life is good. How long do we last in that place? But again, we destroyed it. God rebuilds. Because when you get to the end, what do you see in Revelation 22? He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will no longer be any night, 
And they will not have need of the light of the lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. That's what Israel's getting a picture of. Walk faithfully. Trust him. God will protect and preserve. Which is why each and every day we encounter our trials and our difficulties. How? In the light of, in knowledge of God, who he is, what he has done, what we know about ourselves, and what he has called us to. In the places that we struggle, congratulations, you just found the area you're supposed to be killing. I haven't done that example in a while, remember? When you find sin, what do you do in the corner? You kill it. You don't coddle it. You don't feed it. You put it to death. You leave the wilderness and leave sin behind. That's the goal. That's how we're supposed to be living. How do we do that? By knowing who God is knowing what he has done for us and the wisdom that he has imparted to us in Scripture, we then apply to our daily lives. That's what we seek to do in Sunday school class. That's what we seek to do every morning in here, is take some pearls from from the Word and then make them something that we can do something with. And when we see people struggling to do that, what do we do? We walk alongside. And when we struggle, we trust that God will do what? Send people that will walk alongside. This is Christian living. And hopefully, over time, We will do better than Israel because we've covered this in Sunday school. We're going to cover it a little bit in here too as we go. Israel doesn't ever seem to get better at this. You're laughing because you know where we're going and it just, they don't. Why? Because they're not walking in wisdom and they're not walking in faith. They're walking in fear. In Christ, we don't fear this world because this world is overcome. We don't fear our sin because it's defeated. We don't fear our difficulties because God will preserve his people. So we can walk wisely. We can walk faithfully because we can walk graciously. The grace of God poured out on us, that grace then pouring out on the world around us. And we can have success. It may not be pretty, but you know what I know for certain? Next time you stub your toe, you're going to think of me. (laughs) and you're going to think about what you said and why you said it, which means you'll think about Christ and what he's done, and that's the goal of all of this. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you for the mercy that you have poured out, for the goodness that you have shown, and for the strength that you provide, that though we are weak, you are strong. Lord, show us our weakness. Reveal it daily that we may know where we fail, And then by your mercy, we will stand, knowing that your love conquers, that your grace endures, and that your kingdom will persevere. Carry us to completion in Christ, that we may be your holy people. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks. To the Holy One, give thanks, because He's given Jesus Christ, His Son. And now that the weak say I am strong, 
and let the poor see I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for us. And now let the weak see I am wrong, and let the poor see I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ is on and now let the weak see i am strong and let the poor see i am rich because of what the lord has done for us and now let the weak say I am strong, and let the poor say I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for us. Give Just a couple reminders. If you're able to uh, help Kathy Lester with a ride on the 9th, let me know. Uh, there's lunch, and Jonathan will be offended if you don't stay. <laughs> no, there's plenty of food. Stay. I will be offended if you don't stay. So there you go. I'm trying to guilt you. My grandmother was always the master of guilt, so I was never good at it. So there's plenty of food. You are welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, I think that covers everything you're reminded of, so let's pray. Lord, as we leave this place, we pray that you would strengthen us. As we get to partake of fellowship together, we pray that you would bless that time, that we would be a faithful people, Lord, strengthening and walking together, serving in your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.